Well, good morning, church. Man, glad you're here this morning. If you're new here, my name is Doug. I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we are delighted that you're here this morning. Today, we are going to wrap up a series that we've been in since the start of January called 10. And if you haven't been here, I kind of want to bring you up to speed with where we've been because we said, you know, when we begin a new year, typically most of us will look at our life and different areas of our life, and we'll begin to evaluate, and we'll begin to kind of look at some things. And I think the same thing's true for us spiritually. So this series, the goal has been for us to take a hard look at some spiritual areas of our life and evaluate ourselves one to ten. Where do we find ourselves? One being seriously struggling, and ten being not that I've arrived, but I feel like I'm on the right path and I'm going hard after that path. And so when we began this series, we said, okay, let's, let's rate ourselves one to ten. Where do we feel like we're at as it pertains to our walk with the Lord? And what I mean by walk with the Lord is like our level of confidence in the Lord. Our level of trusting that when God says it, God's got it. That God's got us, that God's going to take care of us. I mean, what is our level of confidence in the Lord? And so where are we at in our walk with Him? But also where are we at in our walk with Him as it relates to our desire to be near Him? I tell you, Psalms 27 through this series has become one of my favorite Psalms. Because David just cries out, and if you remember, he says, I desire to be near you just to gaze at your beauty, right? And so when we think about our walk with the Lord, where are we at as far as our confidence? Where are we at as far as our trust in the Lord? Where are we at as far as our desire to be near Him? And then the week after that, we talked about not just our walk with the Lord, but where are we at as it relates to our love for the Lord? One to ten, where do we are at? Now, most of you in the room who are believers go, well, I love the Lord. Well, how do you know that you love the Lord? What, what is in your life that's evidence of your love for the Lord? And so we looked at the first three commandments, the Ten Commandments. And we said, if we really love the Lord, we better make sure that there's only room for one on the throne of our life. And it better be who? It better be who? It better be God. There's no room for anything else on the throne of our life. And we talked about fighting the battle of idolatry, letting other things take the place that belongs only to the Lord. And so we love him, we're going to guard against idolatry. But also if we love him, we're going to make sure that we live our life in such a way that we make much of his name rather than profaning his name. Now, profaning his name, we talked about a couple things. One way is just by the words we speak. You've heard people use God's name in profanity. Another way we do it is by how we live. If you're a Christian, you live under the banner of Christ, but does your life reflect that? And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but yet you're living like the devil and looking like the world, you're profaning the name of God. And if we really love him, we have to remember we got to fight idolatry. There's only room for one. And we need to make sure that we are making much of the name of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about where we at on a scale of 1 to 10 in our generosity to the Lord. Not just our generosity as a spirit of generosity, but specifically our generosity to the Lord. And if you remember, I said there's one thing everybody in this room will fight. There's one thing the world throws at us over and over and over again that we have to battle as believers, and it's this, a need for more. Right? And all of us who earn an income, all of us understand that battle of never being fully and completely satisfied with what we have. And so the world throws at us, you know what, you just need a little bit more, you need a little bit more. And so we looked at the words of Jesus in Luke 12, and we saw the foolishness of greed, and then we saw the remedy for greed. And does anybody remember what the remedy for greed is? It's giving. The remedy for greed is giving. And so last week, I asked you to do something. I asked you to take that pledge card that was put in your seat, and I asked you to make a pledge. Now, this is something that I have no idea about who did it and how much. I don't know any of that stuff, but here's what I know. If we look at ourselves on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as our generosity, we've got to look at ourselves, okay, where am I at in my generosity to the Lord? 
I will battle this foolishness for greed. But the remedy for greed all the way back in the Bible, all the way from the beginning, has always been giving. And so every year at Cross Life, Oviedo Cross Life East, we have a stewardship campaign where we ask people that are members of this church or who feel like East Campus is your home, even though you haven't joined yet, and you want to be here to take this pledge card and to fill it out. Maybe for some of you, you know, you've never done this before. But here's why this pledge card is important for us. First of all, it's a picture of commitment for you. Some of you maybe have never given to the Lord, and you need to start somewhere, and you can acknowledge on there. Some of you are what I call random givers, like, I got 50 cents in my pocket, I'm going to throw it in, and that's, oh, that's great, wonderful, but maybe you need to be a percentage giver. And then some of us in the room are the tithers, and you're the 10% givers, and we need to understand what Jesus said last week when he said, I want you to be rich toward God. 10% is the mark, it's not the end. I want you to be rich toward him. And so for us, if we fill this out, it's a commitment we're making to the Lord to be faithful in our generosity and to steward not own things that we have. But let me tell you another reason this is important. is because as a church, we feel like we need to be good stewards of God's money too. Do you believe the church should be good stewards of God's money? Say amen. We are. And the only way we can, the best way we can steward that is if we know what the body of Christ is going to be giving for the year. So as, if you've got that pledge card, there's one on all your seats. If you've not filled one out, if you're a member here, please take time to do that because we need to be able to look at ourselves and go, where am I at in my generosity? With the Lord. Now today as we close the series out, I want to take a look at one more area, and I want to take one more area and look at it and go, you know, where am I at on a scale of 1 to 10 as it relates to my commitment to the Lord, as it relates to my real commitment to the Lord. I'm talking about a level of obedience and loyalty. Now here's something that I, haven't, that I have seen in the world we live in, and I think you would agree with it. We have people in the world that are committed to everything and loyal to nothing. Do you agree with that? Okay, so that's not real commitment, is it? We make all kinds of commitments, and we'll say stuff like this, I promise, or I give you my word, and that basically with 25 cents still won't buy you a cup of coffee, right? I mean, so it's basically a shallow word that we use, but I'm talking about where are you at in real commitment? What I mean is a commitment of living a life of obedience and a commitment of totally being loyal to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, as we've gone through the series, because I'm a linear thinker, I'm thinking if we're doing the things that we've talked about, if we are walking with the Lord, if we are loving the Lord more and more, if we're generous with our giving to the Lord, that shouldn't the natural result of that be that we are committed to the Lord? Sure, it should. But here's what I believe. Even if we're doing all those things, I think many of us in the room, we still struggle with this idea of commitment. We still struggle being all in in our faith of the Lord. Now, hear, hear me on this. And I think one of the ways that we hide our lack of commitment is through excuses. How many of you are really good at giving excuses? Anybody? Okay, and the rest of you, you know, we know that you are too, right? If you ever grew up in a home with a sibling, you know that you're good at that, right? Here's the thing. I want you to understand this, that for most of us, we will struggle with lack of commitment. And the way we mask it and the way we hide it is through the giving of excuses. Because excuses are all about why I can't but truthfully, really about why I won't, right? And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to look at a guy in Scripture who made a lot of good excuses in his own mind, and then I want to look at how did God respond to those excuses? What did God say to him that we need to hear this morning? So you have your Bibles. You, don't have, you can turn there, but we're not going to stand this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, probably one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, in my opinion. Jeremiah chapter 1. 
And what I want us to do is I want us to look at these excuses, but before we do, I want us to look at the very profound thing that God tells Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Listen to me as I read chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. And if you have your Bibles, please use your table of contents if you need to. There's no shame in that. Look what he says. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now before, basically God lays out the calling that Jeremiah is going to have. And before Jeremiah gives excuses, did you pick up on what God told Jeremiah? He says some powerful things. First of all, he says, hey, listen, Jeremiah, by the way, I formed you. Right? I formed you. And the psalmist, I think, says it best when he says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he has knit us together in our mother's womb, that, that God has shaped us and designed us. And he wanted Jeremiah to know, listen, Jeremiah, I've got a big question for you. I've got a big ask for you, but I want you to know something. I'm the one who formed you. I shaped you. You are not junk. You are not insignificant because you are my creation, Jeremiah. Well, let's just start with Jeremiah. I formed you. I know the biology, but I'm the one that formed you. I'm the one that knit you together in your mother's womb, and I fearfully and I've wonderfully made you. Jeremiah, let's just start with this basis. I formed you. Just know that. I made you. And he said, before I formed you, what did I do? He says, I knew you. Now, I love this word new in the Hebrew. It's the word yada. And if you said it in the Hebrew way, you would spit on somebody because it's a guttural, but it's a yada. And literally the word yada means an intimate knowing like between a husband and a wife. He's like, I know you so intimately, uh, Jeremiah. I know you. I know what makes you tick. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. I know the days and the numbers and the hours that you're going to live on this earth. Jeremiah, I so intimately know you. I know you better than you know yourself. That's what that word yada means. It's a sense that I know you so deeply, you can't even know yourself this deeply. But yada not only means the depth of his knowledge, it also implies the depth of his commitment. He said, listen, Jeremiah, I know that I formed you, but before I formed you, I knew you. In other words, before I even began to create you, I already knew who you were. Now think about that. If you really thought about that for a moment, there should be some of us going, that's kind of like a mind explosion, right? Before we were created, God knew us, and he knew us intimately, and because he knew us, he also was committed to us. See, the beauty of that word yada is a word that's used as it relates to a husband and wife, and, and Abraham knew Sarah. And that idea not only expresses a physical intimacy that happens, but it's more importantly, it's a physical commitment. It's like when we, when we experience this intimacy, it's not just, you know, it's not just anything other than just an event. It is actually a sign of commitment that we know each other and we're committed to one another. And God uses that terminology to Jeremiah. I knew you. You're not an accident. I knew everything about you, Jeremiah. He says, I knew you. And before, he said, listen to this. He said, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That word consecrated just means I set you apart. Before you were even born, I go, I'm going to use Jeremiah. I've got a purpose for his life. And then you pick up on what he said there last. He said, not only did I consecrate you, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. This guy, I've got a plan for him. Now think about this. Jeremiah, I knew you, man. I know you so intimately, and I'm so committed to you. And I want you to know, I've got a purpose for your life, Jeremiah, and I've got a plan for your life. I mean, why is that important for Jeremiah to hear that? Because the thing that God is going to ask Jeremiah to do 
if he doesn't hear what God asked him to do in light of who he is and how God knows him and how God has called him and God has got a plan and a purpose for him, it'd be really easy for Jeremiah just to walk away. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. What God has told Jeremiah is true for you and I this morning. God has formed you, each and every one of you. You are not an accident. You are not junk. You are shaped by Almighty God. He, like Jeremiah, formed you, knitted you, and wove you together in your mother's womb. You matter to the Lord. Do you believe that this morning? He formed you. And listen, he knows you. He knows you more intimately than anybody else can know you, more than you can know yourself, and he's committed to you. But listen, he's also got a purpose for your life. He set you apart through faith in Jesus Christ. We are set apart with a purpose in our life. And he also has a plan for your life. Hear me on this. God will tell Jeremiah later in Jeremiah chapter 31, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. In other words, God had a plan from the beginning. Before, listen, before Jeremiah ever came to the world, God knew him, God set him apart, and God had a plan for his life. And the same thing's true for all of us. Hear me on this. The same thing's true for all of us. Because some of you are sitting here this morning going, I just don't know what God wants to do in my life. Listen, he's got a plan. And he's got a purpose. So, Doug, where do I start? I can tell you where to start. How about Matthew 28? When Jesus says, go make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you go, just know this, that I will be with you even until the end. So let's just start there. That's the purpose that God has for us, to make disciples. Listen, I know Jason Belter is a great coach and a great teacher, but that's not ultimately his purpose. I know other people in the room have great responsibilities and they have great tasks and great, great opportunities. But listen, our primary purpose in life is to make disciples, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ and to point them to him. That's our primary purpose. And for some of us this morning, before we get to the excuses, we just need to be reminded that he formed us, he knows us, he set us apart in Christ, and he has a plan for our lives. Here's the thing, as we try to live out this plan, sometimes we're really good at making excuses as to why we can't live out that plan, right? Like when the Holy Spirit nudges us to go talk to somebody, or the Holy Spirit nudges us to make a decision or to do something, sometimes we wrestle with that because we're struggling. We want to live out that plan, but we are good at making excuses, and Jeremiah was too. Let's start with, there's three excuses I want you to notice about Jeremiah, and here's the first one. The first excuse is the excuse of inadequacy. Inadequacy. Look with me in verse 6, the first half. He says, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Now, God is telling him, hey, I've called you out, and you're going to be a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah's not an idiot. Jeremiah understands something. I know what prophets do, right? I know what prophets do. Now, prophets today are not like prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets in the Old Testament, what would they do? God would give them a message. They would show up on the scene, and that message would be this. Thus saith what? The Lord, Lord, right? Here's what God said. Get over it, repent, or burn. I mean, basically, that was a prophetic message. And here's what what, uh, Jeremiah says. I know you've called me to be a prophet to the nations, but guess what, God? I I, I can't speak. Hey, 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 listen, listen, God. Uh, um, I'm unprepared for that. God, I hear what you're asking me, but I, I don't have the skill set to do what you want me to do, Lord. I hear you, but I'm not skilled enough. I am unprepared. Listen, I think most of us, that's where we live. Can we just be honest? 
I think most of us live there. If God said, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to do this. I want you to share the gospel with this person you work with. I want you to make this decision. Like, I want you to pick up your family and I want you to move and do this ministry instead of what you're doing right now. Most of us look at that and go, I can't do that. I don't have the skill set to do that. God, I haven't prepared for that. I haven't saved enough money to uproot my family and move them. And we're always really good at these excuses. And most of us lean into the excuse of inadequacy. God, I'm just not good enough. I don't have that skill. I don't have that preparation. But I want you to hear me on this. When we lean into excuses, we ignore this truth, that God can overcome our insufficiencies, can't he? God can overcome our insufficiencies. God can cover our weaknesses. When we lean in on the excuses of why we won't do something, we're ignoring the truth. And no matter how skilled you are or how skilled you are not, at the end of the day, God can overcome your weaknesses. God can cover your insufficiencies. Why? Because it's his plan. It's his plan, right? And you say, well, Doug, but if I feel insignificant, if I feel like I'm not prepared, if I feel like I'm not skilled enough, there's no way I can do what God's asked me to do. Well, listen to what God told Jeremiah in verse 9. He says, and the Lord said, Lord put out his hand, and he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, listen, Jeremiah, if I'm going to ask you to do this, guess what? I'm going to empower you, I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to enable you to do what I've called you to do. If I've called you to it, Jeremiah, quit worrying about not being prepared. Quit worrying about not being skilled enough. Quit worrying about your abilities. If I've called you, Jeremiah, I will empower you, I will equip you, and I will enable you to do what I've called you to do. And don't we need to hear that same truth this morning? Sure we do. Because some of you, man, God's been nudging you, God's been pushing you, God's prompting you to do something. You're like, I just don't have the skill to do it. And we need to remember, if he's called us to do it, he will empower us, he will equip us, and he will enable us to do what he's called us to. Now, let me tell you why we struggle with this. You ready? Because this is a very vulnerable place for us to be, isn't it? But can I tell you why it's such a beautiful place to be? It's because when I realize that Doug doesn't have the ability to do what God's called me to do, when I realize that I'm unprepared to do what God has called me to do, when I have to lean in on God's empowering, God's enabling, and God's equipping, you know what that does for me? It reminds me that I can't do life on my own, that I greatly need to depend on who? Him. I need him. See, it's not about Doug. See, see, when it becomes about my abilities and my skills and my preparation, then it becomes about me. But when I'm unskilled, unprepared, and I've just got to trust him, listen, my dependence goes off of me and it turns on to him. And so Jeremiah uses the excuse of inadequacy, and God says, that doesn't hold up. And then he gives another excuse. Excuse, second one is that excuse of timing. Look at me in verse 6. He says this, then all sovereign Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a what? A youth. I'm only a child. That translation means I'm young and unmarried. It's literally what it means. I'm young and unmarried. Lord Jeremiah says, okay, Lord, you know, you say you can equip me and empower me and enable me. Okay, but listen to this. I'm just, I'm just a young, unmarried guy, meaning I have no real life experience. You're asking me to do something to the nations. I have no credibility with them. And quite frankly, God, I'm intimidated by what you're asking me to do. Listen, I, I have no experience. Nobody's going to listen to me. I'm only a young, unmarried guy. Nobody's going to look at me and go, there's wisdom coming out of that young man's mouth. No, they're going to look at me and go, you guys, you just need to shut up and walk away, right? So God, the time, listen, God, not now. Maybe later, 
Most scholars believe that Jeremiah was between 17 and 25. So maybe when I'm 30, God, you know, when I'm old and 30, maybe a little bit later, God. But right now, no, because no, nobody's going to give me the voice. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to hear my voice. I have no credibility. I got to have no life experience. God, right now, no. How about later? And you ever told God that? You ever told him that? Hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, no, nah, I don't have time for it right now. I was studying yesterday. Saturday, I take about four hours, and I just kind of memorize my notes and, and make a lot of marks. If you saw my notes, you're like, how in the world are you looking at your notes? But anyway, I just kind of go through it, and I get a text message from a family in our church. And they said there was a guy walking through their subdivision, and he was trying to part of the story. Um, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe solar panel or something like that. I'm not really sure. I didn't pay attention to that part of the story. And said that, that my husband went to the door and, and started talking to him and started sharing the gospel with him. And eventually the young man came into the house and they sit down with the husband and wife and, and still trying to you know, sh- sell what they were trying to sell. And they continued to share the gospel. And the guy just really became soft to it. He said, you know, I've been really searching and seeking God. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go the Buddhist route or the Christianity route. And so today I've come to your house and you've shared this gospel with me. And that young man, 18 years of age, prayed to receive Christ yesterday afternoon in the home of our church family. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, let's give the Lord praise for that. Now, here's the thing. What if that family had go, you know what? I'm in the middle of a game of sorry with my kids. I don't have time to go answer the door. What if that family said, you know what? You know what? Yeah, it's in the afternoon. We're getting ready for dinner. I've got all my kids over, all my family members over. I don't have time to have this conversation with you. See, that conversation made an internal difference in the young man's life who hopes to be here next week and wants to be baptized. And so listen to me on this. This idea of we don't have time, it doesn't float with God. In fact, listen to what God told Jeremiah in verse 7 and 8. He says this, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So listen, you can complain about timing all you want to, uh, Jeremiah, but at the end of the day, here's where I want you to go, because you're not alone, and my timing is perfect. Yesterday, that family received a young man, shared the gospel. Why? Because God's timing is always, always perfect, and it's always on time. And so many of us in the room today, maybe we're, when God asks us to do something, God's nudging us to do something, we kind of back up and go, no, I don't have time, not right now, maybe later, God. And what we need to say is, Lord, if you're nudging, I'm going. If you're leading, I'm following. And we've got to stop using the excuse of time. And then there's one more excuse. And this one's not quite so obvious in the text because this last excuse is this. The ask is just too tough. Now, if you look at me back in verse 6, it says this. He says, ah, Lord God. I have the underline in my Bible. See, this is not an ah, Lord God, like an inspiration, ah, Lord God. This is a ah, oh, Lord God. It's like, it's like you're, you're asking me to do something. That's huge. Now, what does Jeremiah do when he gets this big ask here? I mean, obviously, he initially goes to these other default excuses like, you know, I'm inadequate. I don't have enough time. But at the end of the day, Jeremiah's ultimate big umbrella excuse was the ask is just too tough. You're asking me to go to a nation and to share a message that I don't want to share. A message that's not going to be like, people are not going to love me for this. The ask is really tough, Lord. In fact, listen to what God tells Jeremiah later. You don't have to turn there. But in verse 10, he says, See, I've set you over the nations and kingdoms, and here's your job. To pluck up and to break down. To destroy and to overthrow. 
to build and to plant. And then he tells him in verse 13, look there at verse 13. He says, the word Lord came to me again a second time saying, what do you see? And he said, I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. Now here's what's going on. A boiling pot in that day and time, like our boiling pots, you would have put it on the stove and you would have put it level, right? We all like boiling pots that are level, right? Correct? Are you with me on that? Why do we not want them on level? Okay, very good. You're with me. I got you awake now. So he said it was tilted to the south. Now what he's talking about, the south represents the southern kingdom of Judah. And the north represents the Babylonian empire. And he says, there's this boiling pot you see, and it's tilted to the south. And so when that water boils over, guess what's going to happen? All the south is going to be destroyed, and they're going to be burned. So here's what God's telling Jeremiah. I want you to preach a message, Jeremiah, to my people. And here's the message. To repent from idolatry, repent from your wickedness, or destruction is coming. Now, how many of you want to be that kind of prophet? Come on, anybody want to sign up for that job? Yeah, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're too lovable, Olivia. I mean, nobody wants that job. And Jeremiah has been asking, listen, I want you to preach a message of repentance from idolatry, repentance from wickedness. And if they don't, destruction is coming. Now, do you think God knew that Jeremiah felt inadequate? Do you think God knew that Jeremiah felt like, I don't have enough experience and credibility to do this? Do you think God knew that Jeremiah felt like this was way too big of an ask of him? I would say, yeah. Because look what God tells Jeremiah in verse 17 through 19. He says this, But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I've commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the king of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. He said, listen, I know the ask is big, but just hear me on this. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, if you do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to help you to endure this. Jeremiah, here's what I need you to do. You ready, Jeremiah? Here's all I want you to do. Just trust me. I know it's a big ask. But I want you to know, if you're faithful to do what I've called you to do, and you will drop these excuses, Jeremiah, I will protect you. I will be there with you. I will help you endure. I just need you, Jeremiah, to trust me. Now, what is the big ask that God has of us? What is the big ask? Let me, I wrote down a few. Here's one. He wants us to walk with him. One of the things that God desires for us, in fact, if you go to Micah 6, 8, it says, here's what the Lord wants, requires of us, that we would do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. God wants us to walk with him. But quite frankly, isn't that a kind of a big ask when we see all the things going around the world around us, all the things that are fighting for our time, our attention, our affection? It can be a big ask. What about for some of us, maybe, maybe the big ask is that we'll be totally committed to him, that we would say, you know what, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. All in. I'm holding nothing back, God. I'm totally loyal and committed to you and to you alone. Is that a big ask? Yeah. Because we've got things fighting over commitments in our life. What about finances? What about he wants us to be, the ask is for us to be faithful stewards of our income. And for some of you, that's a big ask. You're like, you know, I don't make enough. I don't have enough. I mean, listen, I understand all that. But listen to this. Whatever God is asking of us, 
And if we feel like it's too big, let's just remember what God told Jeremiah. That if you obey me, listen, I will make you strong. If you obey me, I will protect you. If you obey me, I will help you endure. All I need you to do, you ready? Trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. I need you to trust me. Now, as we close this passage out, I was thinking about this last night that, you know, my prayer really is this, is that if we really understand that we have been formed by God, if we really understand that God knows us intimately, that he has set us apart for a purpose, and that he's got a plan for our life, my prayer is that we would make this commitment, no more excuses. Would you say that with me? No more excuses. Yeah, that was like, no more excuses. All right, now, come on. Let's say like we mean it now. No more excuses. I mean, like, really make a commitment to go, you know what, Lord? No more excuses. When you nudge, I'm going. When you lead, I'm following. When you say jump, I'm just going to start jumping. God, I trust you. Listen, besides my inadequacies, Besides my need for the timing to be right in my book, even though it's not, it's, it's your timing, even though I know the ask is big, God, I'm choosing to just simply trust you. That's my prayer this morning. And so maybe there's some areas you need to trust the Lord. Maybe you've, been the, you've heard us talk about serving in our church and you've never signed up to serve and you've made every excuse in the book. Well, I just can't get up at nine o'clock to get here to whatever. Okay, no more excuses. Maybe you're this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've heard us talk about the gospel. You've heard us talk about God's love for you. And you made every excuse in the book. Well, I don't know enough. I'm not experienced enough. You've not answered all my questions. Listen, there needs to be a moment where you put the excuses aside and by faith you just say yes to him. Maybe that's today. Maybe for some of us as believers, we've not let God be the priority of our life. And today we've got to say no more excuses. He is the most important thing in my life. And I'm going to follow him with every fiber of my being. No more excuses. For some of us, you say that you're a follower of Christ, but you've never followed him in believer's baptism. You've never let the world know that you belong to Christ. No more excuses. You need to make that decision. Some of you, like the guy last week, have been stingy with your money. You've tried to hoard it all for more and more and more, and you realize that generosity is the remedy for greed. And you need to say this morning, no more excuses. Everything I have belongs to the Lord. No more excuses. And if maybe some of you here this morning say, you know what? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've been called to share my faith. And I'm failing at that. No more excuses. See, here's my prayer this morning. As a church, we would go, no more. That I am 100% committed. I am all in in my faith in Christ. And no more excuses. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. I'm going to pray for us. And after I'm done praying... Maybe you want to take that response card, your, your little blue sheet there you have, there's a response to the bottom. Maybe you've made a decision. Maybe you want to accept Christ. Maybe you're like, hey, I want to make a decision. Whatever it is, to be baptized, take a moment and fill that. Maybe you've got a prayer request. I would love to hear it from you. And you can drop in the bin as you leave this morning. But maybe you want to take that response card and let us know the decision you've made this morning. Or maybe you want to come to this altar and just get on your face before a holy God and go, God, no more excuses. No more excuses. Because let's be honest. We're all really good at making them, aren't we? And when I think it in my head, boy, it sounds really good. But when I actually hear it come out of my mouth, I'm like, that's pretty lame, right? No more excuses. 
Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Pat and Willie are going to be right over here behind the curtain, and Jason and Kelly will be right over here behind the curtain. Love to pray. You need somebody just to pray with you. You don't even want to know your junk. You say, "We just pray for me? They will. Whatever decision we need to make this morning, would we do that? But my prayer is, are they believers? We'd go, no more excuses. All right, let's stand together as we pray. Let's stand together. Father God, I love you, and I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. There's so much here, Lord, so much that we couldn't even get to this morning. But God, I pray with every fiber of my being. There's a body of believers this morning that we would just be quite honest how we make excuses that keep us from walking with you. How we make excuses why we don't love you as much as we should. How we keep making excuses why everything we have, we own it instead of called to steward it. How we keep making excuses why we can't be fully and totally and completely committed to you. God, would you just reveal and expose that sin in our heart this morning? But God, would your Holy Spirit give us a resolve to go, no more excuses. No more. It doesn't matter if I'm inadequate. It doesn't matter if the timing doesn't meet my schedule. It doesn't matter how big the ask is. I serve a God who could overcome my inadequacies. I serve a God whose timing is perfect. And I serve a God who only asks me to simply trust him. And he's got my back. So God, I just pray this morning. I pray as a body of believers that we would have this, this ingrained in our heart. This would be an anthem that we would say over and over and over again as we go this week. Is no more excuses. I'm in, Lord. And that God, with that, we would also pray that dangerous prayer of going, whatever you ask me to do, I'm in. So God, would you be with us this morning? Whatever decision we need to make, if we need to trust Christ as our Savior, will we make that this morning just by acknowledging who he is and what he's done for us? And if we need to lay our excuses down, Lord, this altar is open. If we need prayer, we've got people that are willing to pray with them, Lord. But this invitation belongs to you, God. Would you move and, 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 and move in this room and convict our hearts only as you can? So, Lord, we love you. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. If you need to pray, this altar's open. If you want somebody to pray with you, we've got folks on the side. If you need to make a decision and you want to write down, just take that response card. Let us know. But listen, hear me on this. No more excuses. He's worth way more than that, isn't he? He deserves our loyalty, not our excuses, right? So let's give it to him today as we continue to worship.